welcome back to the Night Sisters podcast, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the women that make Star Wars great. I'm your host, Madison Fairchild, and I'm so excited to introduce my dear friend, Jessica Kavalik, as we discuss her non-thesis project about countercultures in the Star Wars community. Her project is called Star Stories. I think I can handle myself. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Mads. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? Can't complain. I'm doing well. Well, I'm so excited to have you on here. We've talked a lot about your project because I did an interview on it as well. So it's kind of funny to like turn the tables almost. I, I'm really excited to have you here. <laughs> right. The interviewer becomes the interviewee. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're just going to jump right in. I ask all my guests just general Star Wars questions, just so the people listening kind of know what their relationship is to it. So what was your introduction to Star Wars? Sure. So very similar to probably a lot of people, I was introduced to Star Wars through my parents. Um, Growing up, I was a monster kid. Um, I I was watching Mighty Joe King, um, The Mummy, oh gosh, Jurassic Park. So I think my dad had Star Wars, you know, on TV and I sat down and I watched it and I loved it. I thought it was very entertaining, probably for the action, the the romance flair to it, Mm -hmm. uh, the droids, the aliens, that (laughs) kind of thing. Um, and then I, my mom and dad say that I saw Attack of the Clones in the movie theaters. And I guess I believe that because I did have a Jar Jar Binks phase, as most toddlers probably have. Of course. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't remember watching Attack of the, the Clones in theaters. I was like four or five years old. Um, yeah. But I do remember seeing Revenge of the Sith. Um, my mom was on a business trip. And so my dad took me, I think I was like seven and, um, seven or eight or nine, I don't know, around that time. And my little brother came and my little brother was like four. Oh. Um, and he, my dad was like, you can't tell your mom we're going to go see this. Cause he got stuck with babysitting. And it happened to be the weekend Revenge of the Sith came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I remember watching this movie and it was just so good. I, I <laughs> I had a blast, even though I could not understand the politics and the, the big heavy topics in it. I just remember walking out of the theater and my dad being like, yeah, that was a great film. And I was like, why? He was like, because the bad guys won. <laughs> um, so that was, that was my introduction to Star Wars at a young age. But I did not get active in the fandom uh, online and discourse spaces until um, leading up to The Last Jedi. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I had saw the teaser trailer for it. The one where it may have been the full trailer, the one when Kylo reaches his hand out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was that's what got me. I was like, uh-huh. OK, I, I want to invest some more time into this because um, The Force Awakens, I, I went to it. I had fun. I thought it was great. I thought it, I thought it was like a lot of nostalgia, but I didn't feel any relation to it. Yeah. Uh, but leading up to The Last Jedi, I just I thought that aesthetically it looked very pretty. And at that time, I was in the Disney College program. So I was interested mm-hmm. in Disney media in general and what was coming out because I was working at the parks when this was going on. Yeah. And I had nothing else to do with myself. So I was like, let me let me see what this is all about. So it was definitely The Last Jedi that got me active in the, the online fandom. 
I love that so much. What year did you do the college program? Um, I did the fall advantage in 2017. So oh, I think I went down yeah. there around like June. Uh, mm. So it was, it was leading into, of course, the release of The Last Jedi. Yeah, I did. I did fall 2016. So I was there when Rogue One came out. So oh. I totally get that feeling like of being there and a new Star Wars movie is coming out. And it's it's an experience for sure. I really like that was probably the highlight for me was the hype of Star Wars coming. So totally get that. Right. So. You like you said you've joined you joined Star Wars Twitter before Last Jedi. You were pretty involved in fandom spaces online, though, before that. Right. Yeah, I was. I remember when you joined like the Star Wars fandom, like we became mutuals around that year. We've for those who don't know, we've known each other a pretty long time now. Yeah. (laughs) But um, no, I like remember it was one of the first accounts I'd seen like transition to Star Wars instead of like starting out as Star Wars. I thought that was really cool that you were able to switch your your niche online. I thought that was sick at the time. Well, it wasn't that big of a jump because I was in Marvel Twitter at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I felt like Star Wars. Well, you know, when with Rogue One, I thought that was very exciting because the film Mm. was so diverse and it was like a little it kind of felt like its own standalone film. So you could really binge it as much as you wanted and not have to do the full like watch through to really (laughs) have fun with it for sure Um, for sure but that jump was so easy for me because at that time with leading up to the last Jedi it seemed like it was going to be a very like philosophical film Mm -hmm. um which is something I was looking for and wasn't in Marvel at that time yet um Marvel was just starting to really get the ball rolling into leading into the infinity war kind of phase yeah. So that the switch over to Star Wars was very easy at that time. I love that. Yeah, I feel like the two definitely coincide a lot. Mm-hmm. Them being owned by Disney is even more helpful. But the fans definitely like, if you're a fan of one, the odds that you're a fan of both are really high. So I totally get that. So what has your experience been as a woman in the Star Wars fandom? Honestly, I I feel like in my niche little community, because... I think sequel trilogy fans in general and um, younger fans in general and women for sure and members of the LGBT plus community, I think we've been primed to make little small communities on big online spaces so that we feel safer and so that we can communicate with other um, fans who won't, you know, dismiss us or judge us off the bat, that tolerate us, that accept us. Mm-hmm. Um, so online, I really have not had any problems until that boundary is breached. Um, yeah. so whenever like phantom wide discourse happens, or if there's an, like, I guess an argument going on or, um, like, you know, people are talking about the same thing and there's kind of like this dismissal happening. Like, I felt like that definitely happened a lot leading up to the last Jedi. And then of course, yeah. in those months after the fact, because mm-hmm. as somebody who really enjoyed The Last Jedi and felt seen by The Last Jedi, I felt like I was going insane every time I logged online and saw people dismissing your the things that you loved about that film. Um, and it typically was coming from a group of people of a singular narrow identity. So yeah. you couldn't help but question if there was a lot of like, like pseudo pseudo political conversation, identity politics happening embedded in the Star Wars space. 
instead of just talking about Star Wars, like it, it was so hard to navigate that in the months leading up to The Last Jedi and the months after the fact, because it really did feel like if you liked The Last Jedi and you happened to be a woman, you were just immediately dismissed as someone who did not understand what Star Wars was. 100%. So there's some highs and some lows. um, And that went on, like, I always talk about, like, (laughs) the Great War of 2018. (laughs) That year between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker when they were filming the movie and people were speculating and stuff, that was, like, it was just yeah. nonstop discourse machine. Everyone's theorizing. Everyone's doing writing meta. Everyone's trying to think about what the next film's going to be about. It was just nonstop having to defend the Last Jedi, defend the things you believe in the story and the character. Defend yeah. <laughs> <The> Rose. <laughs> right, right, right. I know. Go to war for Kelly Marie Tran, John yeah. Blaine, Daisy Ridley. Like, <laughs> oh, oh man, and it was it was a weird time. In the fandom. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to talk to someone that I've known like as a Raylo with me for years, you know, because mm-hmm. I haven't interviewed too many people that I've known for so long. And we were getting it from, you know, the men in the fandom. We were also getting it from a lot of women with internalized misogyny yeah. um, who just hated us for being Raylos, like for no reason other than that. So, yeah, it was a crazy time. I did not. I do not miss the time right before and the years after Last Jedi at all. Like, I don't miss I it. Like, I felt like I had entered this fandom out from like the outside anyway. And all I did yeah. was watch The Last Jedi. And I picked up on that subtext between those two protagonists. Well, I'm going to call them protagonists. Yeah. So when I logged online and saw such a huge pushback on it, I was like, I kind of, I was starting to question myself because I was like, there's no way I didn't read that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it did turn out that it was romantic subtext and a kiss in the rise of Skywalker, of course I was like very validating, but yeah. it seems like everyone's just moved on and pretend, like pretends like the <laughs> harassment and the intimidation didn't happen. Yeah. It, it came from people who like worked at Lucasfilm. It came from people who um, are big predominant like figures in the fandom, people with platforms. It came from mm-hmm. just like every single corner of just constant, like, you're a rape apologist, you're an abuse apologist. And it's like, no, that's just how you read that. Yeah. I did not read it that way, but you don't have to assume things about my identity and the things I've gone through and the way that I, like, consume media just because I like this thing that the canon is pushing. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so absurd. Like, really (laughs) I feel like there's just like this cognitive dissonance with it now because Phantom just pretends like it didn't happen. And Lucasfilm itself like never stuck up for its canon romance. They never Mm -hmm. have asked anyway. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that didn't help. So it was like left up to the fans to defend the canon that they themselves were writing. And it was like we were taking all of the shots for it. Yeah. And doing the work for them. And then at the end of the day, it never mattered anyway. (laughs) No, yeah, it's insane. I the rape apologist one really gets me because I was having other women tell me I deserve mm-hmm. to get raped because I shipped Raylo. How yeah. is that feminist at all? <laughs> like, how goodness. is that feminism? <laughs> I don't understand. Literally not real, but the harassment that you're inflicting on me right now is. So. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> so insane. Yeah, 
uh, being part of that side of the fandom was uh, a whirlwind for sure. So I totally feel you and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> right. I know. And I wonder like, what's the next thing, you know? Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Well, a complete 180 from what we just <laughs> talked about. What was your favorite part of being in the fandom? Oh, the people I met without a doubt. Um, all my friends. I've, I, I have made so many friends through the Star Wars fandom. I've met you through the Star Wars fandom, the people I've met um, at Celebration, mm-hmm. um, the people I've met in group chats, and then we've met up in real life, even if it's just real life. You know what I mean? Like, you know, outside yeah. of Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> even if it's just like getting drinks in the city after Burn This, or someone just happens to be visiting Orlando, so we'll hit the parks together. Like, mm-hmm. just being able to see people in the flesh and spend time with them and make memories without a doubt has been the best part. Also, I feel like this fandom has done a really good job of um, kind of like shaping a lot of my worldviews and ideologies. Yeah. I've learned a lot from this fandom and the people within it. Um, I know people like to say that the Raylo community is predominantly white women. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it is predominantly white women, but it does um, erase the fact that there are many women of color in the fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, and from them, the work that they have put in to educate the fandom, to yeah. talk to us about these things and the nuances and the intersecting layers of identity and, and shipping and Star Wars in general. Like I've learned so much through them, um, with their consistent activism on social media. So I'm mm-hmm. very thankful for that as well. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of erasure of, yeah, women of color, of queer mm-hmm. women in the fandom. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I don't know, it's whitewashing a whole group of people when most yeah. of my friends in the Raylo fandom are not cishet white women. Like yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I completely agree. It's incredibly rich and diverse and creative. Oh, that's another thing. I yeah. have never been in a fandom that has churned out so much. <laughs> transformative creative work. I like now that I've kind of moved on a bit and I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into other fandoms. I did not realize just how good we had it. Mm-hmm. Fan art, the fan fiction was yes. so good. <laughs> like it was free. All of it was free. Yeah. I, 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 I that's, uh, that's something I probably missed the most is when we were in our prime and everyone was mm-hmm. churning it out because it really it was <laughs> never, never. It a was nonstop. Time. Yeah. Never. And, a short and the fact that Raylos are getting published. I just, my boyfriend just bought me the new Raylo published fan fiction. Go hex yourself. I'm so excited to crack <laughs> that one open. So ready. Um, but Love Hypothesis, of course, is iconic. She has a multi-book <laughs> deal now. Like, it's just amazing. It's so cool seeing. And Rhea has her trilogy coming out, the Hurricane Wars. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so awesome. uh, I love it. I'm just, like, endlessly proud of this fandom and everything they've accomplished. I feel like so many people have been able to uh, gain opportunities and find things that they really enjoy um, that they probably wouldn't have if they hadn't entered this space. Like personally myself, I never would have done this project if I had never joined the Star Wars fandom. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's so awesome. You you mentioned Celebration. We were in the same hotel at Celebration. It was very fun. How was your experience overall having 
like meeting so many Star Wars fans in person, some that were Raylos and some that weren't like just a lot of random people all at once. How was that for you? I think the fandom is completely different in person yep. than <laughs> like people swear up and down that the Star Wars fandom is the most toxic fandom on the planet. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's up there, but online it is. And I think it's mm-hmm. because people who are the loudest are also the smallest group because when you get in a big space, like celebrations, Chicago celebration is the only time I've gone to a star Wars convention, like just Mm. star Wars. And it was nothing but love seeing and hearing that crowd erupt in cheers for Kelly Marie Tran. Oh my God. Yeah. So validating because it just showed that like the people online who are the loudest and are the angriest are really they're really the the small little niche community who just want to mm-hmm. be heard and mm-hmm. they're able to capitalize on social media algorithms and targeted campaigns to seem a lot larger than they really are and you know that was a big problem after the last jedi was yeah. um the use of sock puppet accounts and troll mm-hmm. accounts to make it seem like everybody hated the last jedi <laughs> yeah um, which is just not true. It just isn't true. There's an there's an article by Morden Bay called Weaponizing the Haters. And he did a, a quantified study on the tweets to Ryan Johnson after The Last Jedi and found that majority of those tweets, the negative tweets, were coming from accounts that didn't even belong to human beings. Oh so, my God. you know, you have to, I always wonder, like, if we were not in the political turmoil that we were in, if the 2016 election had not just happened, if we yeah. were not talking about Russian bot campaigns, if all this stuff wasn't happening with social media and culture at the epicenter, would the response to last year have been nearly as uh, big as it had been? And I honestly don't think it would have. <laughs> We were just so stirred up at the time and it just found itself there in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like every person I met at Celebration, whether they were older cis white men who you'd think on the internet would be the ones to come after you were so sweet in lines and in elevators. And we were just Mm -hmm. talking about our love for Star Wars. Like it was such a good experience. And honestly, I still get emotional. I know that episode nine did not turn out how we wanted it to. But when we were all in that room watching the first trailer drop and crying and jumping up and down, I will never, ever forget how that felt. That was such an amazing experience. Like, uh, and with friends, it was so good. So, so good. So who's your Star Wars role model? It can be a character. It can be an actor. Anyone behind the scenes. Who's your role model? I'm going to have to say Kelly Marie Tran. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. In 2019, leading up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker, I had the opportunity to meet Kelly Marie Tran at Build Studios in New York City. Um, I, uh, you know, did a phantom project. Um, I actually worked on it with a friend at the time, uh, Maddie, and we had basically done a phantom project where everybody was able to submit letters, photos, artwork, anything they wanted to be put into this big binder so that I could give it to Kelly Marie Tran to tell her that like what you've been facing in the fandom is not a monolithic. It's not all of us. There are so many people rooting for you. And I also had, I believe it's after blossoms, where's Rose 
the art book that she um, had. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had that and the binder full of everybody's artwork. And I asked the producer before they started the interview, I said, hey, I have this stuff for Kelly. It doesn't matter if I'm not able to ask her a question or anything, but can someone give this to somebody on her team? Um, mm-hmm. And he said, okay, let me go ask. And then he came back and said, they're good for it on the show. And I was oh. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so um, it, it, we did have a question um, for her. And honestly, I don't even really remember the question because I, I blacked out. But yeah, all, I was, yeah. all I cared about was getting the book and all of that in her hands. And I, I told her that so many people are rooting for you. So many people have noticed that Rose is missing from the merchandising and the promotions for the Rise of Skywalker. These are things that aren't going unnoticed. We do see it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like we are here for you, basically. Um, and she completely melted. And I was able to go <laughs> on stage and we hugged her. And we gave her the books. We took pictures and all that. Um, and it was just, it was just so <sighs> cathartic because. Mm-hmm. It, like at that time, you know, Kelly, there was not a lot of ways to reach Kelly because she had deleted her Instagram and her Twitter account she wasn't using. Yeah. So that was the first time she was really doing a lot of public facing promotion for Star Wars again and was able to interact with fans. Um, and so I was I was very happy that we were able to do that for her and to, sh- to basically tell her for the fandom that so many people are rooting for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, just the character she plays, Rose Tico, I just love the thesis of that character and everything that character is about. The fact that, you know, you could be a nobody and come from nothing, come from no lineage, no big legacy, no big bloodline, and move throughout the uh, resistance on your own and become a hero. And I think that is a story that is much more familiar and relevant to the entire audience than some of Luke Skywalker or Kylo Ren. Yeah. I, I have to say Kelly Marie Chan and Rose Tico without a, a breath of hesitation. I love that so much. Like, Oh, I love her so much. So hearing, hearing about that story again, which I remember when it happened, but hearing about it again is like making me emotional. Cause like, that was so mm-hmm. awesome. When we met her last year, again, she remembered that and you talked about it, right? Yeah, so um, it was after Ryan the Last Dragon. Uh, she hosted an event um, at Universal City Walk in Hollywood with the director of Ryan the Last Dragon um, to watch In the Heights. Um, mm-hmm. She's a big Lynn Manuel Miranda fan. <laughs> and she was there, and I did go up to her before the start of the movie. Um, and I told her, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I met you. We had had to be like two years ago at that point, right? A year ago or so. Yeah. Um, in New York City, I gave you this book, and she was like, "I absolutely remember you. I still have that book. It's on my mantle." <laughs> oh my god! Um, and so we were able to get a picture again and everything. She's just like the most genuine person on the planet. If you ever have the opportunity to meet Kelly Marie Chan, please do it. I know she's going. Yeah. To, she's going to celebration in Anaheim. If you have the opportunity to meet her, absolutely do it because. She genuinely cares. She genuinely mm-hmm. loves these fans. She genuinely loves the story and this character. And it's a it's a fucking shame what happened to her because we deserve actors and actresses and workers in Star Wars who care about it just as much as Kelly. Exactly. And so I I I want to say that 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 should be the end of it. I don't have hope for Star Wars fandom because we're still working <laughs> on centering, deplatforming, and and you know removing people from this fandom that 
yeah. spreads hatred, but I, I genuinely hope that's the end of it. No, for sure. She, what happened to her and what happened to Daisy and what happened to John mm-hmm. is horrifying. It, it made me really ashamed to be like a lifelong fan at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm coming back into like being really proud of it with this project and like talking to all these women has made me feel so connected again. But at the time it was like embarrassing to be a part of a fandom that was so abusive to the people that were giving them content. Like, um, and also that's like, that's, that's the effect that we have on the public. Like when they hear the star Wars fandom, they immediately assume that we're these like angry people. Everyone always says nobody hates star Wars more than the star Wars fandom. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the driving force of my mom thesis project was that I really wanted to highlight and uplift and showcase the people in fandom that love Star Wars and are doing things to participate and engage with the um, story and the characters um, in a way that isn't typically shown. They're often suppressed, silenced, um, ignored. And so when people think about the Star Wars fandom, they don't think about them. They think about the yeah. online harassment, the hate. And I I was just so tired of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love your project. So your project is called Star Stories. Mm-hmm. So tell us about it. Explain to, for the people that are listening, explain what a non-thesis project is. So I had no idea that you could even study and research Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. It actually, so to go back a little bit, um, in undergrad, I went to Rowan University. And for my senior year, I wrote a paper um, applying disability studies to Kylo Ren. Um, mm-hmm. Because still in, you know, 20. 15, 17, 19, we're still using um, uh, disability as a way to mark a villain. Yeah. And so Kylo, after, uh, I'm going to assume everyone who's listening to this has already seen the sequel trilogy. (laughs) Kylo, after um, killing his father, Han Solo, um, is marked physically by Rey in a lightsaber fight. Um, And it's bloody and gruesome. And now he is officially deemed a villain. Throughout The Last Jedi, as he's, you know, kind of uh, struggling internally with himself with the light and the dark side, there's a, literally a scene of his scar being patched up by a med droid. And then throughout the film, we see the scar slowly heal as he's starting to um, question his alliances and his allegiance. Yeah. And then as we get into The Rise of Skywalker... There's the big moment on the Death Star wreckage um, when Rey stabs him with the lightsaber and decides (laughs) to heal him. And when she heals the lightsaber wound, the scar on his face also heals completely. Mm -hmm. And in that following scene is when he sees the ghost of his father and redeems himself and gives up the mantle of Kylo Ren. So literally you could track his villain to redeemed hero arc with his disability. So that's very problematic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's what I wrote my paper on my senior year. And my advisor at the time, Dr. Joy Cipher, um, was uh, just met with Dr. Scott, who is a health communication uh, rhetorician from the University of Central Florida. And Mm -hmm. so she planted the little idea in my head. She was like, you should go to grad school at UCF 
and continue this work that you've been doing with fandom. And so here we are. Uh, <laughs> there was a global pandemic, nothing else going for me. So I was like, yeah, let me get my master's. So throughout my uh uh, academic career at the University of Central Florida. I've been working on this monstrosity called Star Stories. Um, and just as I was kind of talking about it earlier, it, I wanted to showcase the um, people and fandom through a counter story framework um, that aren't typically showcased. And um, what I mean by that is counter story in itself is a um, it's a tenet of critical race theory, which is this method. And I use it as method and methodology um, to counter dominant narratives, dominant ideologies. And so it's an anti-racist pedagogy, essentially. And yeah. so adding that to the Star Wars fandom, I wanted to interview women members of the LGBT plus community, black, indigenous people, of color, BIPOC, um, basically anyone who did not conform to a cis, uh, heterosexual white male, um, identity in the star Wars mm -hmm. fandom, typically people who are silenced, ignored, dismissed, told you're not a real fan. You don't know what you're talking about. I wanted to showcase them. I wanted to talk about the way they participate in the fandom, the way they engage with the story, the characters, um, and the reason why it's called a non-thesis project, it's just very confusing language to say that I didn't write. Sorry, that was my dog. <laughs> That's Loki, everyone. <laughs> Loki's in the background, deep throating his toy. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I did not want to write a paper because there's this level of interpretation and disposition that comes with me writing uh, what they're saying. And I just didn't feel like that was a fitting platform for what I wanted to do. So the non-thesis project just means that I did a multimodal project. Um, so it's a website and a podcast. And in doing so, I was able through a semi-structured interview to showcase and speak with uh, fans of those varying and intersecting identities, to hear their stories, their star stories, um, and they were able to say it in their own words and their own voices without me um, interrupting, speaking over them, speaking for them. So that was a much more appropriate platform. For yeah. Them. Yeah. I love that. Obviously, we have very similar work that we're doing. For people to find it, are all the episodes going to be on your website? Yeah. So right now um, I'm working on getting a... Um, a domain for it specifically. Um, mm -hmm. But I do plan on publishing it live for the entire fandom on May 4th of 2022. So depending on when you're listening to this, it's either coming up or it's past and you can access it, but it will be public facing theoretical work. So um, available for academic and um, fandom audiences. That's so amazing. How long are like the episodes roughly? I, I really wanted to keep them as short as possible because I wanted them to be digestible. Mm -hmm. so they're sitting anywhere between 15 to 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're typically um, gauged to whatever that um, I like to call my researchers co-hosts. Um, they're mm -hmm. not participants, they're co-hosts because without them, there would be no research. And I, I wanted to, um, Yes, make it digestible, but also I wanted each episode to be um, uh, 
uh, confined to, well, I don't want to use the word confined, but mm-hmm. on topic of whatever that co-host wanted to speak about. Um, oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So in doing so obviously had to be something that they were, um, educated on speaking about, but also something that they, um, had the authority to speak about, um, which I thought was really fun because then each episode is obviously a different, um, story, but also people could talk about the same things, but it's, they approach it differently because they're coming from their individual experience, their lived embodied experience in the fandom. I love that. I, it was so fun participating. I, Mm-hmm. went on there and talked about Night Sisters, which I was really excited about because I'd been laying the groundwork to start like revamp this podcast for a while. And then Jessica invited me on. So I got to talk about it on there. But it's really awesome hearing about like the academic side of it and how you're using it as research. And it is, it sounds so like professional. It is professional. It's you're <laughs> getting your master's, but like, it's so cool to hear about it, like on that side after participating and like Hearing you talk about it for a while is so exciting. What was your experience over the last year or so um, meeting people and doing this? How, how has it been for you? Um, honestly, it's, it's hard work. I feel like mm. there's a lot of emotional labor with it because obviously Star Wars is something I care a lot about. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. And, yeah. you know, it's like disheartening to hear fans of marginalized communities basically beg a, um, uh, something that they love a lot to recognize them. Yeah. Um, so, um, it's hard, honestly, it was very hard, but it was also very eye opening. I learned a lot about things that I could never understand, um, or experience as, um, recognizing my own positionality as an educated white queer woman. Yeah. Um, I'm able to blend in and hide in a lot of spaces. Um, and a lot of the people I interviewed can never do that. Mm-hmm. So hearing their experiences, um, hearing their stories, hearing the things that they would love to see Lucasfilm do, I found it very interesting um, and and disheartening. And, you know, it, I just hope that one day Lucasfilm will reach a point where... Uh, where we can have diverse characters on screen as representative as di- I'm, I'm saying it as eloquently as possible of like, if we're going to have world building of a huge, expansive, diverse universe, um, maybe our characters on screen could also represent right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's insane um, because also behind the camera as well. Yeah. Yeah. Having it behind the camera will push it to be on screen, like having it in the writer's room and in production. But it's so strange because Star Wars has done a great job in their books and comics with like queer identities, people of color. But then on screen, it's just non-existent. It doesn't make sense. Like, so, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, but I completely agree. (laughs) We can be very candid with that and straight up call it what it is. Uh, It's cheap to put your diversity in your publishing um, Mm. uh, sector of your storytelling because it's not the most visible thing. The general public is not reading Star Wars books or Star Wars comics. Those are Star Wars fans. Um, If you want meaningful representation, it needs to be in the movies and it needs to be more than like a two second kiss between two women (laughs) that you edit out of the Chinese version of your films. (laughs) 
Um, definitely a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's disheartening. I completely agree. I can't imagine. Um, I like, and you know what I learned a lot from the interviews is that it's not just the storytelling that needs to improve. It's the way Lucasfilm does their business. It was unacceptable for Kelly Marie Tran and John Boyega to be thrown to the wolves like that. Nobody from the corporate side was protecting their, their performers. Nobody was protecting their cast um, and their crew. Like you have, I'm sorry, you are a part of the mouse. You have the power (laughs) to deplatform these people through copyright on YouTube. You have the power to put your foot down and stop people from monetizing off of their harassment and their hate. Um, You just choose not to because you want to cater to every single piece of your audience. And I think that's why Disney's having a lot of trouble right now with the don't say gay bill and the after effects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So this isn't just a thing at Lucasfilm. I think it's across the entire um, Walt Disney Company. And I think the conversations are definitely happening, happening. And I think it is a lot of internal individualized activism from employees themselves as well. So I think we are definitely heading in some sort of direction. It's just, unfortunately, you're asking for the patience and grace of a lot of people who are tired of screaming into the void. And, you know, 100 <laughs> percent. And, and they shouldn't they have they shouldn't have to carry yeah. carry this by themselves. We Like people in less marginalized groups need to be there for them and shouting is just as loud as them so that they don't burn out and have to continue carrying them on their own. Like, yeah. I, I- I definitely found that uh, if there was ever an overarching theme of star stories, it was the conversation about hope, um, yeah. especially since hope is the thesis of Star Wars. It was disheartening to me how many people are losing it. Hope and who it's afforded to, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I was recruiting for star stories and asking people, hey, are you interested in possibly um, participating in this podcast? I can send you more info. Of every single person who said no, every single person who said no, it was because they were dealing with um, fatigue of Mm. asking and saying the same things over and over again to the point where they've lost hope in Star Wars. Yeah. If there was ever anything that was so insulting to the Star Wars brand. It's the fact that your own fans are losing hope in your storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the whole point of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Um, how many people did you end up interviewing if you have like a rough estimate? It's got to be somewhere between 40 and 50. But the fun oh thing God. about it is that it can continue um, well past me receiving my degree. And I do intend on continuing Star Stories in some capacity. That's so awesome. I love that. What was your favorite part of working on it? I know that it was obviously a lot of hard work and really hard to hear all these stories, but what was like a glimmer of hope in the project? Just meeting everybody. I stepped out of my comfort zone um, to reach out to people that I thought were really big influencers, you know, big, big platforms, people that intimidated me in the Mm -hmm. fandom. I got to speak with Ali Hazelwood. Ooh. I got to speak with Thea. Um, I got to speak with um, so many uh, podcasters and YouTubers 
and fanfic writers and artists um, that I normally don't have day-to-day conversations with on social media. So it was great to talk to them and hear how they got into Star Wars and why it means so much to them. Um, I think it's very humanizing work. um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's very similar to what we witness when we go to Celebration um, and seeing the best in fandom. So I think it's extremely important. That's so awesome. So you've been teaching, you're a professor, right? I am. Oh my God. That, sorry. That's just so cool. It's a part I'm of so proud my, of you. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a part of my gig over at yeah. Um I have a, a graduate associateship and a part of that is teaching uh, first year writing to mm-hmm. uh, college students. I love that. Have you been able to share like your Star Wars fandom with any of your students? Have you talked about it at all with them? Yeah. So um, part of the course that I'm teaching, they do a semester long inquiry project. And so Mm -hmm. I'm basically overlooking 50 miniature non-thesis projects. Well, like little little thesis projects. Yeah. Uh, So as they've been working on that, I've been able to work on my non-thesis project side by side with them. (laughs) So they've been seeing me pull my hair out and, yeah. and, and stress and get excited and all that. And I, and I had a few of my students come to my defense um, oh. and they've been able to like listen to the interviews and, and kind of walk side by side with me as I work on it. Yeah. That's so awesome. So are you done with school now? So I defended my thesis this week. As oh we my God. This. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I did successfully defend my thesis. So I, I will be graduating on May 6th. Um, Yay. Oh my gosh. That's actually the day I'm publishing this. <laughs> that's really? so funny. So the day y'all are hearing this, I will be walking and getting oh my, my God, how does it feel to have your master's? Honestly, I can't believe it because <laughs> it took my blood, sweat and tears, literally so many late nights, so many, um, uh, calling my mom crying on the phone. <laughs> yeah. So many, uh, so much caffeine, so much, so much tears. So uh, to finally be done with it, um, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, that was honestly a lot of fun. Um, so awesome. I, I do plan on getting, I do plan on applying to PhD programs. I would like to get my PhD. Um, so hopefully we have that coming up. That's so Amazing. What do you want to get it in? I'm I'm dumb when it comes to higher education. I went to college and we're no, done with that. So. so I do plan. Um, I, I do want to do some sort of media culture rhetoric mm-hmm. track, um, which typically falls under communication or co- composition. One of those two. So there are um, a few universities that I'm looking at uh, to apply. That is so awesome. Good luck. I can't wait to hear what happens. One of them is actually the um, University of Southern California, which is Ryan Johnson's alma mater. So, oh no way, that's so cool. Yeah. We'll see. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Okay, Jessica, I'm so sorry. I have to ask. I know you're probably so tired of it, but we have to talk about Elijah Wood and Animal Crossing. <laughs> we just have to while I have you on here. So please tell us about your selling your wares to Frodo please. <laughs> so I'm never done talking about it. It's my party <laughs> trick. Um, it's my party trick. Uh, I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about it, but I'm never going to shut up about it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was April, 2020. We are in the, um, 
absolute like mitts of lockdown. And I bought Animal Crossing and a Nintendo Switch because I was foreseeing the fact that we were probably going into lockdown. I was like, I'm gonna have so much free time. I might as well buy a new game coming out. And yeah, so there's this thing on Animal Crossing kind of like pulled off of the stock market, um, except it's like turnips. Um, and I happened to have really good turnips that day. My, my turnip sale price, I want to say was like low 600s. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty good if you're someone who doesn't understand um, or play Animal Crossing. And so I just posted it on Twitter. I was I a little screenshot and I was like, hey, this is my turn up prices. If anyone wants to stop on by and give me a little gift, you can um, sell your turnips at my Nook's Cranny. And I, ch- I was checking my uh, requested DMs and I saw a verified sign and it was Eliza Wood. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I obviously knew who that was and I couldn't believe my eyes. And he was like, Hey, I would love to come sell my turnips. Oh my God. And so I I was like, um, okay. And so, um, yeah, I sent him my Dodo code. He, he flew on over. Um, he told me my Island was very pretty, um, sold his turnips. And it was funny because right when he was about to leave the air, uh, the airport, I think it like glitched. But he was like, long live Ryan Johnson. And it glitched and kicked him and everyone else off the island. And so I DM'd him and I was like, if it kicked you, I think you weren't able to sell your turnips. I think it restarted it. He was like, uh, it did actually. I was no. like, you it was like, nobody else is on my island right now. They're not gonna hit you with nets. So if you wanna come back and resell your turnips, you're more than welcome to. So he actually came back a second time. Oh my God. <laughs> And was able to sell his turnips and we like frolicked around and we went to the museum and it was a, it was a blast. I basically had like a lovely little day on Animal Crossing with Elijah Wood. Um, and so now we're, we're mutuals on Twitter. We talk every so often. Um, and, uh, this really fun opportunity happened where, uh, Gary Witta, the writer of Rogue One and Book of Eli, um, messaged me and was like, I'm going to have Elijah Wood on this, uh, Hot, this like multimodal uh, in-game talk show that I'm doing called mm-hmm. Animal Talking. And I would really like you to surprise him because although we were able to play, we weren't able to really talk because um, mm-hmm. it's all through the game. So uh, in, in the Twitch live stream, I would be able to actually speak to Elijah Wood. And so, of course, I wanted to do that. I thought it would be awesome. I was so <laughs> scared leading up to it because I was watching the Twitch stream go up every so often with its viewers Um, and uh, it ended up being the the best night of my life honestly (laughs) Um, I got to meet Elijah I got to talk on the couch with him I was basically on a talk show Um, I remember I watched it live I remember this like it was yesterday Uh, Danny Trejo was on there Danny Trejo was there Um, Greg Grunberg Grunberg was there it was so wild like what was happening it's so funny you know, at the end, uh, everyone has to tell a joke and then the audience votes on what joke was the best. And my joke was, what did Elijah Wood have to sell to come? Uh, uh, what did Elijah Wood have to do to come to my island? And everyone was like, what? I was like, he needed a Frodo code. 
<laughs> and I got the oh. best joke. I won the I won the contest. So. For those of you who don't play Animal Crossing, the way to travel in the game is with a dodo code. So that's amazing. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, so yeah, hopefully, I don't know. I like looking on the horizon. Um, I know he does like a lot of conventions, so it'd be really cool if um, I'm able to go to one of them and eventually. Yeah. I go that will that will be when it comes like 360. Um, Ryan Johnson actually made the long live Ryan Johnson his yes. right? yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson solid. Like what? <laughs> it was just like that entire 48 hours was absolute man. <laughs> oh my god, that is so funny. So you met you met Elijah Wood online, you met Janie. Danny Trejo online. Um, we talked about Kelly Marie Tran, but you've met some other Star Wars cast and crew members, right? I have. I have. Why don't you brag for us? I want to hear all about it. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. So Kelly Marie Tran, I, I spoke about her and that was awesome. Um, at conventions, I have met um, Hayden Christensen, uh, which was, you know, awesome. I, I, I didn't know what to say. So I yeah. kind of like, I, I blanked out. I blanked out. I don't remember meeting him either. Because so. <laughs> right, right. he like looks me in the eyes. He's very like interpersonal when you meet him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've also met um, Aaron Kellerman, who plays mm-hmm. um, Enfys Nest. Um, I also met Paul Batney, who played um, uh, Dryden Voss. So th- those were really cool experiences as well. Um and then at the burn the stage door, I met Adam Driver. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool. So he he was on Burn This, which was his Broadway show at the time. Um, and actually, I guess I did meet um, Carrie Russell as well because she was also on Burn This. Oh my gosh, she was in the Rise of Skywalker. So um, yeah, so that was that was really cool. Adam Driver is a really awesome person to meet. He's very um, professional and kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, was able to meet John Boyega and Daisy Ridley when they were in uh, New York City to promote The Rise of Skywalker. I, I will have to say it's an absolute privilege and a blessing to live so close to New York City because oh, yeah. when celebrities are in town to promote their work, um, the studios literally put up barricades so that they're able to meet fans. So um, it, it's nothing at all to take the train in and just wait a few hours in the freezing yeah. cold <laughs> for the hopes of maybe saying hi to somebody. Um, but that's how I was able to meet John Boyega and um, Daisy Ridley, who were just so, so kind. Um, I met Daisy Ridley once when she was in town promoting Ophelia. Oh, that's and, so awesome. Um, the second time when she was promoting The Rise of Skywalker. And the night before, I I forget what show she was on, but she did that song, um, the the Jedi rap song. Oh my god, on Jimmy Fallon or whatever. Yeah, I think it was Jimmy Fallon, right? <laughs> um, and um, so when she got out of her car, my friends and I rapped part of the song. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she started dancing when she was coming over. So I don't I. I just think it's really awesome to be able to meet them in person because you yeah. can get a really um, healthy and fun impression of the fandom that they, For sure. that they don't, they don't have. really meet online. Yeah. So um, I, I have zero complaints. Every single person I've oh, so. from the Star Wars sphere has been so nice and welcoming and awesome. So you, met, I, you met Ryan too, right? 
Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna give <laughs> Okay, so um, by far the most incredible experience. Um, Brian Johnson was um, at the Philadelphia Film Festival to showcase and promote Knives Out. And um, my friends and I took this risk and bought the uh, VIP package for Knives Out, which basically just meant that we would secure a seat for Knives Out because it mm-hmm. was it was the big film they were featuring and it was first come, first serve with a seat. And we really wanted to watch it. So we we're like, well, why don't we just get the VIP? It comes with the after party so we could eat after the fact. Yeah. Um, and there was no promise of Ryan showing up or meeting him or anything. We just really wanted to make sure we saw the movie. <laughs> um, so uh, we watched Knives Out. It was incredible. He came out and spoke before the film on stage, and then we were able to watch it. Um, and then after, we went to the casino nearby for the after party. And it was just like, you know, a lot of finger food, open bar, that kind of thing. We were just talking about the film and how incredible it was because that was our first time watching it. And mm-hmm. if you were, if anyone here listening has watched um, Knives Out, you can remember the first time you watched Knives Out. It was probably <laughs> one of the best experiences yep. of your life. Yep. So um, we were talking about the film stuff, and my friend is like, "Don't turn around." And I was <laughs> like, "What?" And I'm like, I look over my shoulder. Ryan Johnson walks into the after party. Um, so uh, he was just mingling with everyone that was there. It was actually kind of a small event. Like there, there really wasn't a lot of people at the after party. And yeah. so um, we went up to him and we introduced ourselves. And I shit you not, like no cap, no bullshit right now. I, we had a conversation with Ryan Johnson for a good 30, 40 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> In this oh my God. Party, like That's amazing. And everything. We talked about um, writing. Uh, he'd like to say that a lot of times he likes to go places to write. So um, he likes to like go to a cafe or an outdoor park and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke about interactive video gaming right now and VR <laughs> storytelling. Yeah. Um, what else did we talk about? Um, just like uh, everything, really. We talked about Knives Out. We talked about The Last Jedi, of course. Um, and we had told him that we were going to have a, we were going to rent out a movie theater in New York City for the Rise of Skywalker to all watch together. And he said that sounded like coolest thing ever. Aww. It was just like all around, like a really, really kind and supportive person. He was asking us about what we do, um, what we're writing, what we're working on, what we're creating. Um, and he was very supportive of all of that. So that was just the most validating experience ever being able to tell Ryan Johnson that I am a writer in college and I hope to <laughs> one day write something nearly as good as the things he has written. Um, so, uh, yeah, Ryan Johnson, really cool dude, really awesome. And the fact that he made the header, the long live Ryan Johnson thing again, it's yeah. just all comes full circle. <laughs> I, I, I will officially have made it when I secure the mutual with Ryan Johnson. <laughs> For sure. For sure. That is what I know that I I'm set. I'm good. <laughs> oh my gosh. That sounds like such an amazing experience. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it was just, I, I couldn't believe it was happening. And you know how, when you, if you've ever met a celebrity, you get really, really anxious, especially a celebrity you care about, you know, yeah, yeah. you get really, really, really anxious at the start. Um, and you kind of black out a little. 
we had been talking to him for so long that I evened out and I was fully <gasps> present in my conversation. Yay! Oh my like, God. This is so wild to think about. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Okay. Transitioning to my last questions. Yeah. Is there a Star Wars project you're most excited for? Oh, um, without a doubt, uh, The Acolyte. With, yes, uh, same here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It would have to be The Acolyte or Taika Waititi's um, Star Wars film. And it's because mm. I know 100% they're going to be in the queer lens. I mean, yeah. look at what Taika Waititi's doing right now with um, uh, um, Thor films. Uh, Taika Waititi saved Thor. Yeah, um, 100%. <laughs> um, and, and his most recent show, um, uh, Our Flag Meets Death, was absolutely incredible. And, um, of course, Leslie Headland, who I believe was, um, uh, the creator of Russian, Russian doll, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Russian doll. If you have not watched it, please do it immediately. Russian doll is one of the <laughs> best shows I have ever watched, um, on Netflix. And she is going to be making a star Wars film and it's 100% like without a doubt, there's going to be LGBT plus characters in these stories because, the creators themselves are queer and they support um, LGBT plus representation. I'm, I'm very excited for the storytelling and the characters and the world building that they will introduce. Yeah, I can't wait. You're the first person to answer with the acolyte, which is what I'm most excited for. So I'm very excited that someone finally agrees with me. For anything else. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are saying Kenobi right now, which is like, OK, sure. But I'm looking for something different. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Okay. Last question. What is like your Star Wars big three? Who are the three characters you think make up oh. your personality? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh. This is a hard question. Sorry, that was my dog again. You're fine. <laughs> um, that's, that's a great question. I did not expect that question. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to have to say um, Jin Erso. Mm -hmm. uh, that character, the way she views the world and the way she joins the fight, just absolutely love it. Um, because of the people she cares about, um, I have to uh, uh, emphasize with that. Um, I would also have to say, um, without a doubt, Kylo Ren Ben Solo. Yeah, um, has been a huge uh, part of my fandom experience, um, but also just that character um, dealing with so much trauma and trying to make sense of the world when it seems like there's no support system. Uh, I, I sympathize with that. Yeah. Um, and then I have to say, honestly, oh, okay. I, and for my third one, I definitely have to say Rose Tico. Um, and I know I spoke about that a bit at the beginning of the, um, the episode and the recording, but I, I truly mean that with Rose Tico um, and her big line where she says, that's how we're going to win, not by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. Um, I, I just like that is the thesis of Star Wars. That yeah. that was why Luke saved his father. Um, so. Uh, that character coming from nowhere, um, rising in the resistance. I just, I, yeah, absolutely. Without any kind of hesitation or doubt, Jin Erso, Kylo Ren, and Rose Tico. 
I honestly, I see that too. I agree with those. (laughs) I completely agree. That does seem like your personality to me. Okay. Well, where can everyone find you and where can they find star stories? Sure. Okay. So you can um, follow me on Twitter at directed by Ryan, just as that goes, (laughs) Um, as well as on Instagram at sad local peach. S-A-D-L-O-C-A-L-P-A-P-E-A-C-H. I can spell. (laughs) Um, And Star Stories, um, I'm working on buying the domain right now. So I don't want to say what it's going to be and not have that be accurate. But it will be all over my Twitter and my Instagram being promoted on May the 4th of 2022, which I guess you guys are hearing this after the fact. Um, so you should be able to go to my Instagram or my Twitter and be able to find it. Awesome. And I will definitely make sure to link it in the description of this episode as well, because I want them to find your project. I'm so excited Absolutely. about it. And if anyone yeah. is interested in sharing their star story, their counter story, by all means, just message me and we can do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for being on here. It's so nice to talk to you. I miss you a ton and I just really appreciate you being on. So. Well, thanks, Thank Matt. You. Thanks so yeah. much for doing this. This is just this is more work that we're doing to center the voices of people and hearing the stories and uh, live worlds of people who really need to be centered. Random. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode. I hope you all had a wonderful May 4th. Please go check out Star Stories. I'm so impressed by all the work that Jessica did. It's so important to support projects that lift up the voices of those that are often ignored. I absolutely love her. I love this project and I'll be linking it all on Night Sisters social. If you'd like to follow Night Sisters, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Night Sisters Pod. My personal Twitter and Instagram is at Maddie underscore Amidala. If you'd like to support the podcast, I'm also fundraising for equipment on Kofi or Kofi. I I still don't know. It's been a few weeks. I still have no idea what it's called. Um, I am hosting in-person interviews at Star Wars Celebration. I want to interview as many women as I possibly can, and I need equipment to do that. So I'm fundraising for that right now. Thank you all so much for your constant support and for listening to the podcast. May the force be with you.